Hey everyone, John here. Just a quick word of warning. Uh, we will be spoiling this film in its entirety, so if you have not seen this film and you don't want it spoiled for you, uh, just hit pause real quick and go and watch the movie and then come back and enjoy the show. William, I know you're up to something. No, just money. <laughs> well, let me tell you, if you burn me, to another episode of Surviving Chick Flicks. I'm John. And I'm Sammy. And we're back after the operator error that happened on the bodyguard episode. Uh, real quick, Sammy, got to ask the big question for last week that didn't happen, but did you survive the bodyguard? So, um, I survived the bodyguard barely. Um, however, I did not survive the making of the bodyguard episode. Although I will say this for uh, our listeners, you definitely missed out because it was the most epic podcast ever recorded. It's unfortunate that we don't have proof of that, but you'll just have to take our word for it. Yeah. Well, you know, that, that is kind of sad, but true. We were, cause we were in a good rhythm. We, we were in a very good rhythm. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, I, I'm going to err on the side of I barely didn't survive the bodyguard in the sense of would I willingly watch it again ever? No. Would I, but I do think if you've never seen it, you probably should just, you know, because it's, you know, it's iconic for what it is. Right. Um. <laughs> so we covered the bodyguard. Yay. But we realized since we peaked on that episode that... Instead of covering this week's movie, we're just going to spend about 40 minutes um, talking about the greatness that is Tom Brady and all of his many accomplishments, because we feel like our listeners would really love to hear that. Oh, dear. We should we should invite some of our friends that were over at the Super Bowl party uh, to talk uh, football in general, because that would be great. <laughs> We may or and now our may friend, not now have, our friends hate have us. watched this. <laughs> we may or may not have watched the Super Bowl with a couple of people that are not sports fans, and the Super Bowl this year may have been the first football game they ever watched. So uh, I, I love the fact that I was in the the dividing line between the two camps of hardcore sports fans and people that don't sport at all. It's like, and I'm just sitting there in the middle, like I sport, I gave a shit about the game, I. I was rooting for the greatness that is Patrick Mahomes, and um, I kind of feel like had the only people been on the field be Mahomes and Kelsey, he would have been he would have done just as well. <laughs> <laughs> You're probably right. <laughs> yeah, and I understand the that they were basically going with like the B team because the A team was kind of benched but it is what it is but 
you know, I, I sport, I don't know everything, but that's kind of my new thing now. I kind of made this like conscious, conscious decision to like, re- like I understand the fundamentals of the games. I don't know the people. And so I'm going to have to learn, you know, like unlearn some movie shit and some music shit to fill in uh, and fill in that space with some sports shit so that one day I can uh, go work for the ringer. We can totally discuss this because, I mean, I only got into sports not not that many years ago, but I got, I really got into it when I got into it. And football obviously is my, is my favorite. So I feel like I should know people that I don't know, but yeah, I kind of feel like I should know basketball and baseball. Like, I feel like those would be my, it would be nice because then you could explain it to me. Like, I like basketball. Every time I sit down and watch a basketball game, it is fun, (sighs) but I never have the motivation to actually sit down and watch a basketball game. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, a little bit inside baseball, (laughs) um, on me, I, I did, um, I was part of student athletic training, um, programs in high school and college and my favorite sport to work was basketball so and my freshman year of college it was great because that was the that was a year-long sport like you like you helped out with football a little bit at the beginning and then once uh school really got started you took over in basketball and you were basically like doing that until the end of the year and the one weekend i had off from any sports um because it was the last one before basketball kicked in and i didn't have have to cover football so i had this magical off saturday that i uh, everyone else wasn't having that was the saturday i decided to have my kidney stone so <laughs> oh no yeah so i have I just, a fish- <laughs> okay. i just remember it being like 8 30 in the morning and i'm like in pain and pissed <laughs> Like my mom knew something was wrong. I'm like, can we go to the emergency not room, but like clinic? <laughs> and she's that like, would happen yeah. to you. Yeah, and I just remember uh, once we got done having to drink like just like massive amounts of water and carry like this strainer around, and then because um, they wanted to study the stone, so that was fun. And just like later that day. Uh, kind of still loopy from the med from like the meds they gave me at the uh at the clinic uh oh no we did end up in the actual er because the emergency clinic was going to take too long so we were actually in the actual er and i was loopy from that medicine and then uh went over to my friend's house and that was my first time watching any given sunday so Oh, there you go. I ha- yeah, yeah, I have officially decided since when football season ends, I always get a little sad because um, that's like my main sport. And so I've decided that this year I want to fill the time with not only learning about other sports, but like mm. watching sports movies. And there's a I cannot remember the show. And I want to say it's mm-hmm. on HBO. I, I forget what it's called, but it's a documentary. And they go inside. The first time I ever saw it is because they followed – Dallas Cowboys, the year I want to say it was a year oh. after Tony retired. I'm I might okay, not be I, right. I I want to say it's called Inside the NFL. That feels also uh-uh. incredibly it's, wrong. It's like all but, something. 
Okay. It's hosted I in know a. what you're talking. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. I just I I couldn't tell you the title of it. At yeah, all. I can't remember. And, and I want to start watching that again. Yeah, and and to be perfectly honest, none of this is to make me more of a well-rounded person. It's just because I want to be able to listen to. Bill Simmons' non-movie-related podcast and understand what in the fuck he's talking about. <laughs> right? Because even because like even in like so much though. Yeah, because even in like the the movie or television-related podcast, he does the like drop this random factoid. I'm like, now I know how everyone else feels whenever I make a comparison to something, and it's fucking crickets. <laughs> You know, but the thing, too, about his podcast, which I I do love his podcast, and I learned so much about sports from it, but I feel like in order to, like, decipher the code of his podcast, you not only mm. have to know sports really well, you have to understand gambling, because there are so many things that they talk about gambling-wise that go completely over my head. When they talk about, like, oh. vigs and prop bets and parlays, I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? Yeah, I, oh God, yeah, I, I don't understand gambling at all. I just know that I, whenever I start, I had money, and whenever it's over, I don't have money. But, like, people all the time post, like, what's the over-under on this? I'm like, I don't even know what that means, so just. <laughs> right, and I'm starting yeah. to gain some context, but I feel like it's the Boston in him that, like, no matter if I don't understand what he's saying, I thoroughly enjoy just listening to him say what he's saying. Yeah, I love the rhythm uh, of those shows. So, but we're not here to talk about Bill Simmons. <laughs> we're not here to plug another podcast. No, well, unless, unless he's going to put us on the Ringer dot com, and then I will absolutely pour myself out for that website, and you know, I can talk about Blue Moon. One hundred percent. Yeah. So Simmons, I like if you're listening. Royal. That's some other shit he pops. Anyway, no, no, we don't need to go down this road. This is going to turn into another Ben Affleck discussion. Uh, oh, God. Yeah. But, so we're not here to talk Super Bowl. We're not here to talk uh, other podcasts and podcasters and sports writers. We're here to talk about a man who, if we haven't, hadn't already promoted the hell out of the fact that we're going to be tackling Catherine Heigl stuff, I feel like this could be could have been uh, the the special series for my true nemesis, but one Tyler Perry, and his, and the first film of his I've seen that didn't have him uh, dressed up as Medea, talking about the family that prays. So let's play the trailer, and uh, we'll just get through the therapy session from there. I am tired of her looking down her nose at us like we didn't live in the same neighborhood. I didn't like it then, and I don't like it now. This is your sister. When are y'all gonna start acting like it? In every family. This is your daughter's wedding. Everything's gonna be fine. You just relax. There is good. Mrs. Cartwright paid for the wedding. Look at you. You look beautiful. You sure you want to do this? I love that girl. And there is bad. What are your plans after graduation? Looking for a job, I guess. Give me a call. I'm sure we can find a position for you. Okay. There are the ties that buy. William, meet Ms. Abigail Dexter. She thinks she can take this company global. I thought you were considering me for that position. Why on earth would you think that? Because I'm your son. 
I was thinking about starting my own construction company. What you need me for? A little bit more faith, brother. There are the mistakes we make. You don't trust me. It's not you I don't trust, darling. It's your private thoughts that give me pause. And there are secrets. Are you having an affair with Mr. Cartwright? That might destroy us. You better watch your step. It is sisters like you that give us all a bad name. To drive across country like Oprah and Gale. Every truth you work pretty close with him, right? Not that close. Begins with a lie. I was wondering if I can get a meeting with him. That's all. Don't be stupid. This man is not interested in helping you. He's a multi-millionaire. Every dream. Alice, do you think God forgives us for all our previous sins? Has a dark side. Sometimes I feel I've been paying for things my entire life. Every choice. What you're up to now is only going to lead to disaster. Has a consequence. That's a lovely fragrance. Thank you. Alfre Woodard, Sanaa Lathan, Rockman Dunbar, Katie Strickland, Cole Hauser, Taraji P. Henson, Robin Gibbons, Tyler Perry, and Kathy Bates. Let me tell you, my family has been known to pray on the week. Tyler Perry's The Family That Prays. All right, The Family That Prays, starring Alfre Woodard, Sanaa Lathan. Rockman Dunbar, Katie Strickland, Cole Hauser, Taraji P. Henson, Robin Givens, Tyler Perry, Kathy Bates, and Sebastian Siegel, produced, written, and directed by Tyler Perry. So, I'm not going to ask the normal question of when was the first time you saw this, but what was your first Tyler Perry movie? Oh, that's a good question. Um... You know, I'm not entirely sure. Um, I think that this was probably one of my first. Because really, I want to say I've seen more, but maybe not. There's only two of his movies that actually ever stick out to me. And I do like both of them. Um, So this movie and then one of his Medea movies, Medea Goes to Jail. Don't ask me what it is about that movie that I like. There's just something about that movie. Um, even though, like you, like I'm not the biggest fan of the Medea character, but I liked that movie, and I thought it was a pretty solid overall storyline. So yeah. I, I don't, I don't know. I don't know which one came first. So I can tell you the exact first one I saw. Uh, it was. Um, and this, I think this one actually is his first film that he made because um, I know he most a lot of his films started off as stage plays, but uh, Diary of a Mad Black Woman was my first. And I remember seeing the trailer and I was just like, oh, okay, so it's like if Eddie Murphy did Mrs. Doubtfire kind of thing, you know, because <laughs> the trailer looked funny. And then the first time watching it, is my first real was my first realization of oh Tyler Perry is so not for you because um I didn't I don't like Tyler Perry for his swings from trying to be the funniest guy in the room to the most serious depressing shit ever it's like pick one of the lanes and maybe like Medea goes to jail is a little bit more on the funny but 
there was a lot more uh, spousal abuse uh, stuff that in Diary of a Mad Black Woman than I, that I was than I was expecting, which was honestly none. <laughs> so that that became my and then I was drug against my will to boo a Medea Halloween. Oh, I remember and then, that. Yeah. <laughs> And then somewhere along the way, like uh, I was made to watch the sequel <laughs> under the guise of, well, we saw the first one. It's like, that's not a good excuse. <laughs> you know, you, th- you would think after that roped you into seeing all three of the Fifty Shades of Grey that you would have learned your lesson. Well, well, no, to be fair, I, I wrote myself into the first Fifty Shades because uh, I was writing for... Um, a website then and I told my editor um, that I was going to go review it for the lols and I there were there were none except for the fact that I saw that movie at like 10 a.m. on a Sunday and that theater was kind of full of middle-aged women and my only thought was like you should be in church all of you should be here in church <laughs> and not <sighs> since uh, and not since a lot of the kids movies I have to go I had to go see for whatever I was writing for at the time, you know, going as this, you know, older childless person to a kid's movie. I have never felt more out of place than being the one guy there by myself to see Fifty Shades of Grey, at least with Darker and Freed. There were other people that I could at least, you know, crack a joke with or I, I think I think we got alcohol during the second one, so if I remember correctly. Yeah, so, that might have been a factor. Yeah. But at, at least with Fifty Shades, I knew going in I wasn't going to see great cinema. But with Tyler Perry, it, you know, whenever I saw the trailer for Diary of a Mad Black Woman, I was like, okay, this could be, you know, something, you know, something funny. And as I have now seen four Tyler Perry movies, I have confirmed that I don't like Tyler Perry as from a writing standpoint. <laughs> you know, I mean... It's hard to argue with the guy's success because, I mean, he's got his he's got his own studio now. Basically, he's doing my research. He has so many things just on television now. Like I, I hadn't heard of half the things that he's got his hands in. But I mean, good for him that he's found his audience. Um, but unfortunately. Not being a 65-year-old white conservative, I'm not necessarily his target demographic. Yeah, um, that's a valid that's a valid complaint, though, right? Like, I mean, and I haven't seen, honestly, like I said, I don't know that I've seen enough of his stuff. What mm-hmm. I've seen, I liked, but I also feel like I've gone to see the stuff of his that I would like, you know, that would, that would interest me. Yeah. Um... So. I remember I I didn't see Boo two in the theater. Uh, I think I saw it on like DVD, but I remember being at the movies, uh, going to see something else, and this lady coming out and complaining to the theater manager that uh, the Medea movie 
the Medea movie was horrifically offensive. And I watched that movie, and that movie had been edited from whatever form, whatever it was originally when Tyler Perry filmed it, because the minorest of swear words were edited out. Like, there was a moment where clearly Medea said shit, and that's not what was on the soundtrack, so... Yeah. And I'm like... And I'm like, I understand, like, getting... Walking out of that movie and going, this movie sucks, can I have my six bucks back? But to say you're offended, you know, in something that does try to cram a moral lesson into all of his movies, or at least... And I'm basing this on the three Medea movies I, I saw before this weekend. <laughs> um, and I think that's my problem with Tyler Perry. It's always like a 90-minute version of the very special episode of a sitcom. If that well, makes sense. Well, I guess that's... Yeah, you know, but that's kind of what I like about it, right? Because I guess in a weird way, it, it sort of feels nostalgic to me. Um, I'm about to age myself really bad. Um what I, because I feel like I'm about to be one of those people that says the younger generation just doesn't understand. I'm going to hit you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a okay. decade older than you. <laughs> Kids these days. <laughs> Kids television. Okay. Regular television today, I think, is as good as it's ever been, right? Like, it's like, a, it's just there's more of it, right? So you, there is more crap out there essentially but that's just because there's more content um but there's as much good stuff out there as there has ever been however with kids television specifically like disney and um i don't know if nickelodeon's still a thing i don't know youtube kids Uh, whatever um, yeah the the content for kids is not nearly the caliber of what it used to be like, when I was a kid, there was always that joke, right, about after-school specials, but people mm-hmm. knock it. They were great. I have not seen sitcoms of the, like, caliber that Boy Meets World, and I don't really want to lump Full House in there, even though it was good, but Boy Meets World and Full House and Fresh Prince of Bel-Air and the stuff that, like, people that grew up in the 90s that we watched as television, qualitatively was so much better written and composed and almost all of those like boy meets world i can't even tell you as a child how many lessons i learned watching that show which sounds stupid but it's also true okay so i'm going to disagree with you and i'm gonna do it as someone older than you i mean you're wrong but that's fine well no i'm gonna i'm putting my critic hat on now i'll agree with you the fact that uh, the television we have today is fantastic, and I definitely agree that the television that we have, th- that there is a lot of crap out there because you have so many channels and streaming services you know, vying for your attention, so they're just putting show after show after show up. And it's now at the point you almost have to search for what's good and wade through this. I mean... D- uh, like Selena Gomez has a cooking show on HBO Max. I I never have turned on an HBO like I never thought I would turn on HBO and see a cooking show. Like that's not what I go to HBO for. Which off topic, the show's not bad. I, I watched the first episode because I like cooking huh. shows. 
But there has always been good television, especially around the 70s, where moral lessons and things like that were put into sitcoms and kids shows. I mean, kids shows actually started out regulated like this is not supposed to be advertising for toys. You're supposed to learn something as well as be entertained. Um, Getting back to Bill Simmons for a second, uh, they uh, the most recent episode of the Rewatchables they covered one of my favorite films, Taxi Driver, and they were talking about Albert Brooks, who's one of my favorite writers and comedians. Um, he though he made his film debut in Taxi Driver, um, and looking him up like because I was like, okay, you're saying this is the first film, like I know. You, I've got to correct you. And it's like, oh no, this is the first film. But before that, he had done a voice work on an on an animated series for Hot Wheels, and part of the stipulation of that show being a thing was it was supposed to talk about the safety driving. So that's always been a thing. But getting into kid shows, there are very deep, complex shows written. For kids, like stuff like, and I have not seen an episode one of any of it, but things like Adventure Time and Avatar The Last Airbender and Korra, these shows always are in the conversation of, yeah, these are kids' shows, but there's so much more going on and stuff you learn and stuff like Steven Universe, um, where you learn about things like prejudice and things like that and i think it there's always been that fight between good television and, cra- and crap television it's just before now you had to they had to make all television good uh, or it was gone because you had three channels i grew up knowing what it's like to just have like three options so i always went with what was the better option and I love those sitcoms, like, in the 80s and 90s, the TGIF stuff. Like, there are moments of family matters burned into my brain and Fresh <laughs> Prince. Like, like, so I get that. So, yeah, I, and... I, I think your get, get off my lawn moment is happening because you're just nostalgic for what you used to have. And you haven't connected with something good that's happening, that's contemporary. And you may be right. Like, I'm willing to concede that I haven't done all the research on this. So this is just my theory. And to not get, like, too deep down the rabbit hole here, I may just be ang- – this may be some, like, deep-seated anger I have at Disney that we're, like, going through a little therapy session now on. Um <laughs> Because I can, because that was like, that's my context, right? So, like, when I was mm. really young, it was things like on Saturday mornings, you got up and watched cartoons. And then I got into like, I had things on Nickelodeon, like Rugrats and stuff like that. But when I got into probably middle school, it became the Disney Channel, essentially. And at that time, when I was growing up, I think that we got some of what the, some of the best of what the Disney Channel had to offer. And then simultaneously, some of what the best of, like, ABC had to offer. And ABC had a little bit more liberty with what they could do content-wise. Like, they could take it a little bit farther. Boy Meets World probably Mm -hmm. being the best example of that. Because that was my favorite show growing up. And then, when I got older, they they decided to 
to go on with the series. And everybody I knew was super excited about Girl Meets World. But my one apprehension at the time was mm. I saw what I like to call the downfall of Disney. Post high school musical. And I've gone back, right? I wanted I wanted to test and see, was it just me being a kid? And then I grew up and realized this stuff isn't good. But since Disney Plus came out, I was I've been able to like go back and watch some of the old stuff I used to watch. And it's not the same, but quality-wise, it still kind of holds up. And post high school musical, Disney took a dive. Like it really did. And it's the the stuff that they put out was just not as good. And that's what they did to Boy Meets World. They Disney-fied it. And they tried to hold on, God help them, a little bit of the nostalgia because they knew who their audience was. Yeah. Right? They they knew who was watching that show. Mm. Well, and it is possible that, because you're speaking about things like, the most recent Disney Channel thing I've seen, like made for Disney or like like made for either ABC or Disney Channel, that kind of stuff. The most recent thing I have seen that I could speak to that I've seen was um, Kim Possible. I, I when Netflix started streaming a lot of stuff and they got a lot of the, the '80s cartoons, and I went back to watch one that I remember being a fan of as a kid. It's called Brave Star. And uh, it was like this weird futuristic sci-fi western type thing. And I, I remember being all about that as a kid. I, I had the toys and I watched an episode, an episode of it, and it was unwatchable. Oh, no. So I, so I am worried about going back to watch things from whenever I was a kid. That being said, you know, my favorite um, stuff from when I was a kid still, that, you know, as I got older but was still watching stuff, the things that were slightly more adult and you didn't get it necessarily uh, still hold up for me. Things like original Tiny Toons, original Animaniacs. And I say um, original because I haven't seen any of the newer stuff yet. And like Batman the Animated Series is still, for me, the best animated series out there from, from my childhood. You know, right. I was also but exposed I... to a little bit more adult content whenever I was growing up because I watched those sitcoms and like family matters. Um, there was an episode where it was the very special episode. One of the very special episodes to learn about racism. The, the one of the daughters, uh, her, someone had vandalized her locker and wrote the N word on her locker. And it being ABC in the eighties, it was not censored. It was the whole word hard R (laughs) written out um the episode where um carl confronted two officers that had arrested his son for doing nothing more than driving through a neighborhood you know also i don't know if there's necessarily an audience for that type of show anymore because or, or like or really where you would put it because first of all no one really watches tv anymore <laughs> like the way we did growing up. I think the closest we've come is the new one day at a time that was on Netflix and pop for a while. I think there is though, because I will say like there's good and maybe that's some of it, like some of the slight, 
the shows, I think you're right. I think you're right. The shows that walked that fine line between we are going to make this for families so that families can watch it, but we are going to include more adult content in it that mm-hmm. more than likely most of it's going to go over kids' heads until they're ready. So it kind of grows with you. That stuff holds up, right? Like, I have every confidence, and I watch some of it. If I go back and I watch Boy Meets World, I watch Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, I watch Roseanne, Family Matters, all those all those shows, they still hold up. Like, they're, they're yeah. still good. And they've, and they've got some shows now like that. Like, you know, Big Bang Theory's good, Modern Family. Yeah. You know, there's some modern-day shows that I think... How I Met Your Mother, but they they've leaned harder into the we're mostly for adults, and they're not adults. Yeah. But we're mostly for like teenagers and adults. We're not. You're not going to get your six year old to sit down and watch The Big Bang Theory. They don't care. Yeah. Well. Well. I first of all, I would have been that six year old that cared just because anything with a laugh track was uh, for me appealing <laughs> at that age. Um, yeah, that's true. Yeah. And also, let's think about this. The the shows that we are name-checking are shows that stand the test of time. You know, we're not talking about, like, say, you know, some, some sitcom that ran for less than three seasons. We're talking about stuff that really was groundbreaking television. Um, you know, and those... Shows that get name checked by, you know, TV and uh, culture critics all the time is being some of the best. That's why we we still talk about like Family Ties and you know Sanford and Son stuff from the seventies and the occasionally going back a few decades. I don't. I think it was really when Norman Lear and um, Gary Marshall were creating television. Like Gary Marshall was all about more of the let's just get together and have a laugh stuff and less so much on social commentary. And Norman Lear was like, I'm going to make social commentary and we're also going to make you laugh at the same time. So I think that that change that happened in that era was not just with cinema, but with television as well. We kind of moved forward. And also, a lot of the stuff that is going to be stuff for young adults is going to be on one of these specialty networks because we don't have Saturday morning cartoons anymore. Uh, we... Right, which is sad. But I'm, well, I mean, this but is at the same like... time, we have uh, entire networks devoted to showing cartoons twenty four seven, and we have right. streaming apps for that. So there's not a purpose, and, and there's not a reason for networks to invest that kind of stuff. And I'm not, I'm not trying to be biased or anything. I'm sure I am completely biased with this. And I'm not knocking the decades that came before because obviously the decades that came before mm-hmm. inspired everything that, you know, you and I got to grow up watching. But I think that I, I grew up in a sweet spot for television and all the stuff that was out there because we just got this benefit of growing up pre- streaming services and the internet where people were so inundated with content there there's just there's a lot of incredible stuff that was created in the 80s and 90s and early 2000s now that there isn't now obviously there's a lot of amazing stuff but like like you said you've really got to go search for it but (laughs) to circle back to the movie we're supposed to be reviewing 
<laughs> you made the point that, um, you know, talking about that balance between humor and a moral story, that's what I liked. That's what I like about this particular Tyler Perry movie because it's got a few moments of like lighthearted comedy, but it leans harder into. I'm going to tell one story. It's a serious story, and I'm not going to try and make too much light. I'm just going to. I'm going to let the story be serious. Okay, and you see, I I kind of view this as a film that is two totally different movies. Because uh, you, on the one hand, you have the movie that's about Alfre Woodard and Kathy Bates, and they're these friend people who are these women who have been friends for decades, and they go on a road trip. Uh, well, one forces the other to go on a road trip cross country because she knows it's her last hurrah. Because as we find out later in the film, Kathy Bates has early onset Alzheimer's. And she's basically taking her friend, uh, played by Alfre Woodard, you know, to go across country with her. And she only tells her whenever it becomes, you know, whenever it's very, when she can't cover the fact that there's something wrong. And I personally love that movie. The rest of the movie is this is the is what I have a problem is where my problem with Tyler Perry has always lied. And it is this soap opera melodrama. The way he writes some of these characters, the ones that are villains might as well have a mustache that they're twirling. And he tends to, in those cases, he tends to write in that way that like nobody speaks in, in a normal sense. And I say that, fully realizing that uh, for about a good two decades, I worshipped at the altar of a man who put the phrase snoochie booches into my fucking vocabulary. So, again, I know that's not how people talk, but my problems with Tyler Perry has always been like, he tends to over-explain, lean way too heavy into exposition, and then put people in situations that there is an element of reality, but it's not enough of one if that makes sense. All right. I'm going to agree with you and disagree with you simultaneously. Okay. Um, I agree with you. That's how sense... this show works. <laughs> <laughs> right. I'm going to agree with you in the sense that I do agree. This is kind of two separate movies. I mean, I like how he brings both movies together personally. Um, but I disagree with, I disagree with that the second storyline is kind of soap opery, and I, 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 well, I understand, I, right? I, they're villain, they're villains, okay? And he writes well, them. I as... said, I say soap opera because everyone is sleeping with everyone, basically. Right? Yeah, exactly. Um, but I guess it's because I'm like, what draws me to it is I'm such a fan of that concept that's super popular right now, where you have these storylines like. Um, Sons of Anarchy and although I haven't seen it I think it's this way Empire and Yellowstone and where the majority of the characters are not good people I mean they really they they have deep-seated complex issues and I, I think this 
movie did a fairly good job of in a short period of time creating a couple of pieces of character arc, particularly with with Grace, right? Because she started like I think I made a note of it that she's like one of the worst characters I think I've ever seen written. Like she's just an awful, awful to her Boy. incredibly kind husband and oh. wait, Sanaa Latham's character? Yes. I I'm um Chris's wife. Yeah, okay. I wrote her name down as Andrea. Andrea, you're right. Andrea, not Grace. Andrea. Okay. Um, no, no, no. I think Andrea... Sorry, that's my bad. You can feel free to cut that out. Okay. Andrea, I think I made a note that she's, like, one of the worst characters um, I think I've ever seen written. Like, she's really awful to... Okay, and she is my biggest problem with this movie because... All right. Here's where I kind of want to jump on your point, where I agree with you. I love shows that have complex, morally ambiguous characters. Uh, you know, I, I mean, Sopranos, Deadwood, The Wire. I need to watch Yellowstone. But the the difference between those and this is even the people who are doing bad things you enjoy watching them. I hated Andrea from the minute she came on screen to the moment they wrapped her character. There was not one moment I found her to be likable. Whereas like take the show Hannibal. I mean, it's a show about a psychiatrist who's also a cannibal and a serial killer but he's compelling to watch. He's fun to watch. Good Lord, that show made me hungry whenever Hannibal would cook his meals. I am not joking because the way they filmed it and the food did look good. You know, and even if he was not a redeeming character, he was at least fun. Andrea was never fun. Um, yeah, I, I can understand. And, and like I said, I think Tyler Perry is an example of Another one of those uh, creative people that needs a second writer working with him. You know, kind of in the way I, you know, just to kind of reel him in and make, you know, kind of expand upon and make less of a stereotype a lot of his characters. Um, and also, you know, make things make sense. I think I agree with you. I think he could benefit from having another writer. Um, where I disagree, though, is, and, I, and and this is a personal opinion, right? Like you didn't yeah. enjoy watching her. What I liked about it is that I did absolutely hate her character. Like it, it's very hard for me to get to that point where I I really dislike somebody. But what I liked about it is it had me intrigued mm -hmm. enough that when you found out why she was the way that she was. It added this compelling well, element to her character. And then the way she ended up was, I don't know, I liked the resolution to her story. Yeah. Um, you know, when, we, when I first met her, because, you know, the movie starts with her wedding and then it jumps four years in time. When she and her sister are getting, you know, ready for the ceremony, she keeps kind of talking down about Kathy Bates's character and her mom's like obsession with her. And at one point she even says that her mom's playing step and fetch it uh, with her mom. Which I was like, Oh, 
damn, I can't believe there's, you know, Tyler Perry's doing that, you know, kind of referencing, you know, that kind of stuff in, you know, the early black cinema. And then, so I'm expecting like, <laughs> you know, Kathy Bates to be like this horrible old racist woman. And it's just like that, to- that line totally fell flat because ended up falling flat because that's not who that character is at all. I mean, Kathy Bates is not a perfect character. There is some moments I did to kind of, I actually did kind of take issue with her, but at the same time, she, when she's around Alfred Woodard, she's just like this crazy old Southern lady. Right. She's kind of a good example of somebody who's not a perfect person, but she's fun to watch. And I like the contrast of the truly good characters in this film. Yeah. And here's the thing. In this movie, you were either good or a villain, and there was no in between. (laughs) Yeah, honestly, Kathy Bates was probably the closest to in between. I don't even think she's that in between. Like the one time I took issue with her is whenever her daughter-in-law came to see her because her husband was cheating on her, and she just kind of talks down to her, and then until she realizes that, oh, you're actually in love with him, and then gives her the advice to that she holds all the cards. But I was just like, but through the entire movie, like I never had a problem. I kept waiting for a while, and then until about maybe 20 minutes in, when I realized it was never going to come, I kept waiting for Kathy Bates to, to become a villain. And yes, that is part of because Kathy Bates has played some fantastic villains, or at least morally co- complex characters, over the years. You know, a, a little bit of Andy Wilkes, a little bit of Dolores Claiborne, but she was just like this... It, it was only whenever dealing with her son and her daughter-in-law did any kind of thing remotely resembling claws come out yeah and i mean i will agree like i think that's an issue with the character development and writing in this film that there's nobody that kind of walked the line of that sort of because generally with the television show right you have all these like no one's really a good character but you empathize with them and then you have a few that you start by thinking out they're good but they still end up kind of having somebody morally corrupt them in one way or another. Yeah. And you didn't get that. So, because that's hard to do in a two hour movie. Uh, no, you can do it. It's, you know, just, he doesn't do it here. The only character here, I think that is mostly good. And then he does one mostly unforgivable thing, which I'm sure we'll get to. But by the end of it, I don't hate his character. And that's Chris. I mean, okay. Go ahead. No, I feel like you're going to say something and I'm just going to end up agreeing with it. Okay. Um, We can go ahead and talk about that moment right now since we're talking about Andrea. Um, Feel free to cut this out if you feel like this is going to be inappropriate. What he did is 100% inexcusable and I'm not excusing it, but I've never felt less bad for anybody in my life than when he (laughs) ducked her. I'm sorry. Okay. I 100% agree with that um, because I, because I, I love characters when they're, you know, when they're despicable, but in a good way, but honestly, all right. So the entire movie, it's very, very clear that she doesn't love Chris, that she's in love with her boss. Who's Kathy Bates, son played by Cole Hauser from one of your favorite movies, Good Will Hunting. 
and from one of my favorite movies, Dazed and Confused, both starring Ben Affleck. Yeah. Um, um, like, and in the pr- and along the way, because he's trying to start his own construction business, and he goes and does a, a pitch to uh, William, who's Cole Hauser's character, who he does like these big like national jobs, and um, Chris and uh, I guess his brother-in-law Ben, played by Tyler Perry, which. I'm going to be paying Tyler Perry a compliment here in a little bit after I've uh, thoroughly kind of trashed him a little bit. But they just want to start their own like little thing, and and everyone is like acting like it's either a threat or the dumbest idea ever. And he discovers, and in the process of being told no by a bank, just trying to do it without help, he finds out his wife has a secret bank account, which is no big deal. Until he finds out there's like two hundred eighty-six thousand dollars in it, which is almost the. Which I was wrong. I assumed that that was going to end up being her redeeming quality that she uh, ended up uh, saving that money and giving it to him to start his business. N- nope. Instead, he closes that account, and she comes into the diner owned by um, her mother, which is Alfred Woodard, like trashes him. Like in front of their entire family, like basically calls him weak and like calls him weak, calls him not a real real man, and he just hauls off and slaps her. Man, no one should ever hit a woman. Like I, I'm actually at the point, no one should hit anyone. I'm not gonna lie, that was one of, and I felt bad, but it was one of the most satisfying moments of the film because it's like I and I wish it had come from like her mother. Or her sister, and not her husband, but right. someone, someone needed to deck her. I would have even accepted Robin Givens. Like someone needs to punch her in the mouth. Right. I think I I agree with you. I think there's two right. two, two moments for me that were incredibly satisfying in this film, and that is something I'm going to owe to Tyler Perry. Like the fact that he could put that on screen and have that moment happen, and have you yeah. genuinely not really feel bad for her because. While you, mm-hmm. while you morally know it's incorrect, there's never been a character that deserved to be slapped that hard in the face mm-hmm. more for what she's you, doing. You know what it made me think of? Um, Chris Rock, in one of his um, 90s-era stand-up specials, had a bit about OJ, and he, ha- and, uh, he had the line, I'm not saying he should have killed her, but I understand. And talking about, and that went through my head. Like he should not have hit her, but I understand why he hit her. And someone needed to hit her. Like I said, I just wish it had been like the mother character or the sister character, or again, Robin Givens. Who I, which (laughs) Robin Givens' character is like the polar. It's like they're the good cop, bad cop twins. It's like Andrea is completely unlikable and. Robin Givens is like this saint of a woman. <laughs> right. And and that brings me to like, and, and so those are moments of, I think, where his writing actually does shine a little bit. But that's the, that's the other moment Andrea has that I really was one of my favorite moments in the, in the movie is when she has that meeting in her office. So um, Kathy Bates' character hires this woman to come in and be, COO of the company because she doesn't trust her son and mm-hmm. she's kind of 
in a battle with Andrea because to her, Andrea is like the worst kind of woman because she Mm -hmm. gives other women a bad name for what she's doing, which is essentially sleeping Sleeping her way way to the top. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Even though Andrea was right when she said, I am doing it the right way because I got my degree here and I did this and I made, and I helped get the company record profits, which is some of the dialogue that's some of the dialogue that also drove me nuts because everyone talks about all this good stuff they did but i feel like it was like it was like if wall street had been written by like someone who didn't know a thing about the stock market right like but it, it was like we do businessy type business here in the, at our business but I, I i saw andrea's point about that she did put the work in and she may have but robin Givens is right you, you're sleeping your way to the top, or at least sleeping your way to a position that you think you're going to have, which uh, another satisfying moment is the moment where William does kind of call it off with her and leaves her in tears in the parking lot. I was just thinking the same thing. I mean, Mm -hmm. that moment, that moment with her and, and Robin Givens in the office, like that's great because that was just this awesome contrast between these two incredibly different Mm -hmm. women. But the most satisfying moment is when he left her. And the reason being is the naivete. Like I, I want to be very careful in saying this because I want to throw this out there in the context, especially of a character and in real life, this is not a judgment. Because mm-hmm. everybody has the right to do things the way that they want to do them. But right. personally, for myself, in my own bubble, I have never understood the concept of, I'm going to go cheat with someone, and I'm honestly going to believe in my head that they're not going to cheat on me, or that they're going to leave their wife for me. Yeah. Like, I just, I don't know as it, how mm. she convinced herself that he was going to leave his wife for her. Because to the audience, it's completely apparent he's not leaving his wife. He cares far too much yeah. about status and um, wealth and all of that kind of stuff to leave his wife for someone he slept with who works in his company. Yeah. Which I, I want to say... The person she's sleeping with is the second worst character in the movie. Right. And whenever he leaves her, it's still somewhat satisfying. Actually, I think my favorite one is after um, Jillian, which is Katie Strickland's character, has decided she is not giving up her man, no matter what he's done. And she confronts Andrea in the uh, hotel room. I think that's my favorite uh, of of all of her comeuppance is whenever she just basically flat out tells her he's never going to have you, and then she and then later it's confirmed. <laughs> Which right. I do I... want. I do wonder, like, what is Jillian and William's marriage like after that moment? <laughs> like, I don't know, but I, I know feel neither. Like <laughs> I yeah, know neither of them are happy. No, because but I feel Jillian, like it continues. Oh yeah, it's absolutely going to continue. Um, but I, I know William's not down to peg. But at the same time, Jillian is stuck with a man that she probably that she probably does love, but at the same time has betrayed her and probably doesn't even love her. And so is 
is comeuppance enough to make her live a fake happy life for the rest of her life? I mean, possibly, because she's she's got him in a vice. Like, uh, I don't Mm. know. I don't know in what world a man in his position would not have gotten a prenup, but I don't think it's a real one. And um, so the position they put her character in of him not having a prenup absolutely 100% gives her all the power. And most prenups come with a a infidelity clause anyways. So she Mm. would have had all the power regardless. But um, that, that that's kind of beside the point. What I like about it is it were this would have been a completely different story had Andrea been a sympathetic person, right? Had Andrea mm. maybe not herself been married and had and had been in love with William and had been totally mistreated by him, and had I would have felt worse for her, right? Yeah. I mean, it was obvi- I felt bad in the sense she had honestly convinced herself that he loved her, but she mm. would have felt I would have felt worse for her. But that wasn't the mm. case. She had a good husband and a good life. That mm-hmm. She was incredibly ungrateful for and selfish about and that just made her a completely unsympathetic character yeah and also she was clearly the breadwinner in the family and he didn't even care about that he wanted you know i mean he wanted to stand on his own but at the same time he he would have like you know he would do anything to make andrea happy but after four years, it was very clearly she didn't like him, let alone love him. That's just what I was thinking. I, the whole movie, I'm sitting there going, because we don't have any previous context. Mm-hmm. How in the world did he marry her and end up with her? Like, what kind of face was she putting on? And I don't know if it was that she was slightly more humble and down to earth before she got the job and she started dating William, which this whole thing in context is even worse because William completely abandons his son, which we find out. Well, I was going to ask, is that really his son, or is that something that she's convinced himself herself and is trying Who to knows? convince William and trying to convince Chris to hurt him? Who knows? Because the only time she ever tells William it's his, you know, that they they have a son together is it's like a last ditch effort to try to keep him in her life. Yeah, but he doesn't seem surprised. It's not like it seems like it doesn't seem like that's the first time he's heard that statement. Mm-hmm. Well, and you know, he his reaction is, "Is he?" And and I'm and I too am wondering, "Is he?" Which, by the way, that the whole timeline of this thing makes it even makes it even less sympathetic for her because obviously, her and William. If you look at the timeline, they have been carrying on. For at a minimum, if she has any concept of convincing him that that's his kid for at least three years, mm-hmm. and he still hasn't left his wife. Yeah. Well, and you know Tyler Perry, you know tells Chris that everyone on, on the construction side that they were working on was making fun of him behind his back because they all knew she was sleeping with another, with the boss. <laughs> the boss had a standing uh, had a standing reservation at a hotel every Wednesday, and where at the yeah. same time she mysteriously also disappeared. <laughs> I mean, they were not they were not exactly smart about about the affair. No, well, not to well to speak slightly ill of Chris, he was too blind to notice that because 
and you know, I'm saying this is a jaded movie movie viewer who can see sometimes ten miles down the road. It was obvious at the wedding, like that William and Andrea were going to hook up. I just didn't know it was going to be the next time we saw them. They had been hooking up for a while and hooking up for so long that he had given her two hundred eighty-six thousand dollars. For sleeping with him. Oh yeah, let's talk about that which for a d- second. Which, yeah, which does that make her a prostitute? At this that point? I, because, yes. <laughs> because here's the: if you're cheating on someone, like you don't give them money, you buy them gifts like some jewelry or a coat or some stuff. You just don't like. Here's a grand. See you next Wednesday. Um, that is exactly that was exactly my thought she doesn't even (laughs) face her when he confronts her about where she got the money and when she finally admits it she's like i got it you know i got it from william and from my man i'm sitting there going honey he gave you two hundred eighty six thousand dollars for sleeping with him that makes you a prostitute how did William, like, no one knows William was giving away, like, all this money. I, I mean, obviously he did it in, like, increments, but how did no one notice that, like, some, this money kept going into this one account, you know, over and over? This is some catch and release shit. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, honestly, who knows? There could have been a lot of different ways, but I have a, I have a question for for you so let's let's talk really quick since we're talking about the affair about tyler perry tyler perry's character okay so it's okay. clear that he knew about the affair for a while should mm-hmm. in your opinion should he have told chris about the affair because i kind of think he should have that is that is a double-edged sword because on the one hand you want to predict you know protect your friend from being hurt but at the same time that is an that is not an easy thing to tell someone that your wife is cheating on them because you know this is not just because you, you know it's not going to end well. It's possibly going to lead, in, lead into a divorce, a splitting up a family. You know, an entire, you know, two sides of, an, of different families know that you're the one that gave this information. And even though you're, you did nothing wrong, it's still going to come back on you a little bit. I, and I, also, <laughs> rumors just get start can get started easily, and there'd be nothing to the rumors. Do you want to tell... Like, you and I hang out all the time, but we're not in a relationship. So let's just say people started assuming that we were, they would be wrong. And if you and I started dating someone else... People are going to be like, yeah, maybe there's something there because they're hanging out all the time. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I get that, but it, and it, maybe it's just something he said out of anger because, you know, he now knows it to be true. But I guess the one thing I kind of find hard to believe, and this is a little bit of, uh, of a writing error, um, mm. I, at least I think it is, the fact that he wouldn't have told his wife. Like, it's kind of clear, they kind of poke fun at this idea that he can't keep a secret from his wife. They have a very, what seems to be an actually pretty healthy and open relationship between Yeah, that's um, the, that was the compliment I wanted to play, pay Tyler Perry. Like, he, he, he did a good job, but he and Taraji P. Henson had some incredible chemistry. Like, um, whenever he came home, and they kind of had, not really an argument, but a discussion about starting the own company. 
they they just w- played off each other so well, and you could tell that that, that couple really loved each other. And, right, and I just think that it's unrealistic to think he would not have mentioned to her the rumor about her sister sleeping around with her boss. That it wouldn't have slipped yeah. out in three years. Yeah, because he 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 goofed and told about the two hundred eighty six thousand. Right, exactly. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying she would have. I I'm not saying she necessarily would have said anything, but given all the history in this movie of her confronting her sister about. Mm-hmm. You know everything. I think that she would have said something to her sister. And it's also like we don't know that Pam would necessarily have gone to Chris, but she would have, you know, to say anything. But she definitely would have said something to Andrea. And maybe like maybe that's what Andrea needed—someone to say, "You need to knock this shit off." Um. Yes and no, because her mother, de- which uh, by the way is a scene I do love, because I think it gives some context to Andrea's character. Because up until that point, I kept wondering, right? I was like, her and her sister grew up in the same household. How the hell did she turn out to be such a spoiled, entitled, terrible person? And then when her mother tells her that she's got to cut it out with William, and she completely disregards her. She explains, like, what happened with their father leaving him and going on to live, like, a good life with a family and leaving them Mm -hmm. in poverty. And I can suddenly, like, who she is as a person makes complete sense because it's entirely grounded in her resentment Mm -hmm. towards her father. So um, let's talk about the diner a little bit because Alice runs a diner, (laughs) Um, which um, I I love the fact that um, while she is working there, she does, you know... take care of people specifically this guy nick a homeless guy that uh keeps coming in and she makes sure he's fed and makes sure that you know he has clean clothes because uh nick got fired from a job he was he had a nervous breakdown and just kind of lives where he can and she is very much a character that's all about taking care of people and her and pam got a little bit of that even though she's kind of uneasy about Nick, sometimes you can kind of tell that you know it's not her favorite thing in the world that she does that. But it goes to show that she's got she's the better of the two sisters because Andrea would not have done that shit. And and it's important that she keeps taking care of Nick as we as we find out later, um, because and and this is why I also compare this to a soap opera because. In addition to the infidelity in in the non Kathy Bates Alfre Woodward on a wood road trip part of this movie, it's all about affairs and backdoor deals and and it's the kind of shit you would see on like Days of Our Lives. Yeah, I mean, to to a degree, I agree with you. And well, and it, I don't. Say, it is. I mean, it. And I don't say soap it, opera is an insult either. No, no, it just, you're right, it runs the line of being a little melodramatic, but Mm. I guess for me it never crosses over that line into being a, into being, into going too far to the point where it's something I, it it ruins the story. Well, I I watched probably a lot more uh, soap operas than you did uh, growing up, because between you know, being at home in the summer, you know, before I started, you know, working and between that and being taken care of my grandma, I saw a lot of Young and the Restless and 
Oh, um, Days of Our Lives, and there was another big one on CBS that I'm blanking on. So this is very familiar territory for me in the sense of comparing it to a soap opera, but basically any television show. Like I've heard Sons of Anarchy compared to soap opera. And it's not an insult, it's just, you know, the kind of storytelling it is. You can do it well and you can do it terribly. And that part of the movie leans very heavily into the, um, into this infidelity, into the infidelity storylines, into the, you know, whose child is this? Who, you know, trying to usurp someone from, you know, a marriage, from a job. That's, that's basic soap opera stuff. I mean, I'm not going to lie. You are right. Did it hurt saying that? (laughs) Just a little. It tasted slightly like vinegar. You can do stuff like that, and as long as you do it well, it doesn't matter. Here, my problem is with Perry writing about things he doesn't necessarily know about. Like, you know, he's made characters in this movie business owners and in construction well like i know perry knows about construction because he did work construction while he was working on becoming a playwright so I, i'm going to give him that part but all of the all of the stuff about the boards and the business aspect of it i'm going to call shenanigans because it's very obviously like i said earlier it's very obviously written by someone who doesn't know what they're talking about it would be like if i wrote a remake of wall street i don't know shit about the stock market with this whole uh, Robin Hood and GameStop thing that w- went on, I'm I'm clueless. Like if I still don't understand how t- Dan Aykroyd and Eddie Murphy beat the Winthorps at the or or whoever the uh, oh beat the Duke brothers at the end of Trading Places. I know they did. I am, am going to argue though. You don't mm. necessarily have to know the subject matter you're writing about to write it well because law and order csi and about a million other legal dramas and um cop dramas have done that for years and what they portray that goes on during a criminal case from start to finish Mm. is generally inaccurate mostly in their timeline and people eat it up. So I, I get where you're coming from. And, and yeah. there's definitely some gaps in this. Like, mostly what happens with the board. You know, I was kind of with him. Mm-hmm. I was with him when he started this whole storyline of William trying to get his mother to sell her shares of the company to divest mm-hmm. it so that they could earn some capital. That that all makes perfect perfect sense. And that how, that's how that works. Now, the fact that she would actually sell the shares... And trust mm-hmm. her son based on how she treats her son, I think is very um, unlikely. Yeah, but you got to remember whenever she does that, she's also listened to Abby, Robin's, Robin Givens' character, who was just like, no, this is the only way we can do this. Uh, yeah, that's true. But the stuff coming in where they have at the end, we find out that... Um, we found out that Alice and um, Nick, the, the homeless guy that's been coming into Alice's diner, um, own shares in the company as well. And their vote combined with Kathy Bates' vote um, is enough to make sure that William doesn't take over the board and that she keeps her position. Um, 
all of that got a little bit in the weeds and also the fact that Alice would have kept the fact that she was a millionaire from her children. Well, I, I mean, it's slightly believable, but... <laughs> Andrea had to learn how to hide $286,000 somewhere. Oh, that's true. But, I mean... I mean, I can see Alice, you know, just, you know, wanting to continue living her normal life, you know, and not be flashy, you know, with her money like some people can. And... It does bring a new perspective, though, to that moment in the diner where um, her daughter says, you know, no, mom, we're not fine. We need the money. And she guilts Andrea into giving her mom money. And Alice is like, no, we're fine. Well, they were fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they were fine. They were fucking millionaires. Well, <laughs> well, Alice is a millionaire, which I, I have a question about. Um, well, well we, we can get into that later. Um what are some of the storylines we haven't covered? Because you know, I feel like we really haven't talked about Abby that mu- much because she's brought in to be the COO of the company because she needs someone in there that knows what they're doing that she can trust because she does not trust her son. And he has ne- never given her a reason to trust her. <laughs> so, no, that's clear. Or, or he has never given him, her a reason to trust him. That's how that sentence was supposed to work. But Abby, uh, it's it's cool seeing Robin Givens uh, in something because, for me, growing up, she was a name that I heard a lot in the 80s because she was in sitcoms. She was very famously and slash infamously married to Mike Tyson. Um, Oh, I did not know that. Yeah. um, There were accusations left and right. he, she accused him of spousal abuse, um, and then the press just kind of eviscerated her as a gold digger. Um, I kind of skimmed her Wikipedia article, and, and she kind of had a really rough time for the longest time. And um, so this, and outside of like uh, seeing her on a sitcom, I had never really seen her or anything. So it was nice to kind of see her away from the tabloid um, nature in which I originally knew her. And I love the fact that, and she's not the strongest actress here, um, but she does the best with what she's given. I feel like her character's kind of not written as well as it could have. I also, I, I kind of got to thinking about how I would do this movie differently. And I, I think I kind of agree with you that this should probably have been a series and not a, uh, or like, you know, a 10 episode Netflix show, not, not to keep going for seasons, but really give these characters time to grow. Uh, We very briefly meet meet her husband and it's fun. She's married. I honestly would have dropped the the, her having the husband and maybe her be the one to let Chris know that there's an affair going on and maybe give Chris like this, a woman in his life that's, and I'm not necessarily saying romance, but just a woman in his life that appears to give a shit about him. Um, yeah, I, 
I agree with you. I think that could have been an interesting take. I mean, I will say, like, I actually really love how this movie ended up because I think everybody ended up kind of in not only the most, the best place for them to be, but the most realistic place for their characters, right? Like, Chris and Ben actually do end up starting their business. And I think that to a degree, why can I not remember her name? Ben's wife, Andrea's sister. Pam. Um, Cookie Lions. Her name is Cookie Lions. Yes. I think that Pam is probably that woman in Chris's life for the most part. And then, you know, Alice goes off on her own. She finally becomes, learns to be a little bit selfish and, you know, keep some of her life for herself. And then obviously, as he would, William and his wife end up very unhappy. Um, (laughs) So I I do sort of like the conclusion that the movie came to. Yeah. uh, See, Alice closes the diner. Andrea is living alone, living with her son and like meager means. Chris and Ben, they have their company. Jillian is holding William to the fire and trapping him and I'm marriage where she has all the cards sadly you know charlotte got to the point where her illness was too much for her to take so instead of you know slowly dying a horrific you know you know slowly and painfully and going through all that she takes herself out of the equation um and then nick after saving the help saving the business um or saving uh, Kathy Bates' character's, uh, you know, position on the board, he gets his life back on track. He, because I guess he too was also like a secret millionaire. Right, which I think kind of low-key is one of the best and most underrated storylines in this entire movie. And I'm guessing the moral of it is, be nice and kind to everyone because you you never know who they are or what their their life was. Because I I liked that. Mm -hmm. That whole storyline, kind of between Pam and Nick, like, he was homeless, she didn't understand why her mother helped him so much, well, as it turned out, because he, you know, he helped her mom with her finances, because he used to be, work for William and Charlotte's company, and then he got fired Mm -hmm. for some reason, and his wife died, and he lost custody of his kid, so his life just sort of fell apart. Yeah, and... And it's totally believable for him, you know, for him to be a secret millionaire because literally where I live, there is a um, homeless guy. He was a very successful attorney. He's a millionaire. He's homeless because he had a nervous breakdown and uh, he has a family member that comes by and checks him, checks on him all the time, gives him money. But he just, you know, he lives on the streets and, uh, there used to they used to sell bumper stickers. His name's Tommy. There used to be bumper stickers around here that people would put on their cars that say "I break for Tommy." He's just very quiet and keeps to himself. I, I used to see him all the time. I hadn't seen him in a long time, but I'm not out and about the way I used to be during the day. Okay, John, has it come time to ask the question? Well, I've got questions. I've got I've actually got a list of questions. Okay. All right. So uh, when I was taking notes, I. Came up, I came up with a series of questions to see if we can come up with an answer. And we've covered Jillian and what Jillian and William's marriage, like what it's like after the credits roll. Okay, so Alice sells the diner. Why did she sell it? Why and abandon it? 
Why can't she just give it to Pam to run? Then my Pam assumption, needs a job? My assumption is because Pam and Ben and Chris started that business is that Pam, this is just my guess, Pam becomes an integral part of that business. They're going to need someone to run like the administrative stuff, the billing, all that kind of stuff, and that she didn't want to take over her mother's restaurant. Okay, I'll, I'll take that. Yep, that's just my um, thought. That's good. Why did Charlotte have to tell the board who Alice and Nick were at the end of the movie? Wouldn't, my, it, wouldn't the people they used to work with know them? Like, yeah, I know Nick's got a little bit of dirt on him now. Now and maybe Alfred Woodard's a little bit older, but I don't. Know, I tend to remember old coworkers. Well, um, with Nick, I'm not sure that everyone on the board would have known who he was, and mm-hmm. also Charlotte had a little bit of a flair for the dramatic. Um, but I never got the sense that Alice had worked at the company, so that anyone would know who she was. She had invested in the company. Yeah. Well, I mean, I get the flair for the dramatic, but she could have just said, open the door, and they come in, and everyone go, oh, crap. <laughs> like, like, I don't feel like either of them should be strangers to most of the people in that room. That's just my take. All right. So, do we think the, that uh, Chris and Andrea's son is Chris's son or William's son? Honestly, no idea. Yeah. Because, like I say, I really feel like if it was William's son, that money that he gave her could have been child support. You know, for, but that never comes up. William just, the movie never tells William that's his son until the end. And he just kind of shrugs it off like he doesn't even necessarily believe it. Well, let me ask you a question in return. Okay. Do you think Andrea actually knows whether or not her son is William's or Chris's? That is fair. I think maybe, I think, I think whoever the dad is, is really incidental. And it doesn't necessarily matter. But I think in Andrea's head, she either wants or believes it to be William's to keep that connection to him. You know, it could very well just, it could be very well Chris's son, but as we have established, she does not love Chris and does not want to have a life with Chris because she's banking on William one day leaving his wife for her. Um, why is William so threatened by Chris wanting to start his own uh, <laughs> construction company? It's not like they're going to be in the same league. I think that even uh, if they started their own stuff, William could have like contracted them out to do some smaller jobs. Like it would have only be I could only see it being beneficial. Why, why did he take it so personally? William is an egotistical asshole. That is solely the reason I think that's the case. Like Andrea thinks that no one will take Chris seriously, and I think William doesn't either. I think William mm-hmm. is just not. That's not who he is. That's not the type of businesses that they invest in. Mm -hmm. And he has no... To him, I think his desire is to keep somebody like Chris in a position of inferiority. I mean, he has his wife. He has... Well, and here's the thing. He could have done that and made Chris the head of his construction department. I mean, that's true. Because, yeah, I mean, 
he could have, you know, made him form it. He could have done something to make Chris's life better, but at the same time, or done something that would have made Chris's life better, but would have given William even more control over him. I think that would have been, you know, if I was a scheming evil millionaire. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's fair. All right. Um, so this question may uh, require you to know about banking laws, but why did the tell her ask which uh, bank account uh, he was getting the money out of at the bank? Uh, because I've always been required to know my uh, my account number. So yeah, and yeah if- I think that's just the the movie's way of making sure he finds out about Andrea's account. Because generally, when you go to withdraw money, he's gonna have to. Um, I guess my issue with that is he's going to withdraw money, right? And the assumption is he wrote down his account number, and she, then she asked him that question. Well. It's like, three, it's like three parts. First of all, are we to believe this is the first time he's ever gone to the bank to get cash? So how the exactly. hell has he not known about this account before? And mm-hmm. second of all, I'm not, I don't know banking laws entirely, and I don't know what state they're in, but I don't know that he could have just taken her money out of account that is solely under her name. Exactly. So if it's under his name as well... Wouldn't he have had to sign some documents to be part of that? And also, um, and also, that means if he, if his information was on there, that meant Andrea stole his information to be put on a secret account that she didn't want him to know about. That just seems like a lot of extra work. Oh, right. Yeah, and, and it seems to me that this bank bank teller, if she worked in a pharmacy, would be violating HIPAA laws. Uh, The mistake Andrea made is she kept her secret account at the same bank as her normal account. Everybody knows you keep your secret account at a different bank. Um, Did anyone in Charlotte's family family even know she had Alzheimer's before her death? I doubt it. I mean, yeah, I'm not saying they would have given a shit, but I mean, was that information even available or was just that? Like, why did mommy, why did, you know, Mom kill herself. Well, she had Alzheimer's. When did she have Alzheimer's? A while. Why did no one tell us? Yeah, I doubt William cared. And there's yeah. no way she would have shared that information with William because William definitely would have used that information to get her kicked off the board. Well, I mean, even after he fired, she fired him. You know, someone could have said, "By the way, I have a I have a disease that's inevitably going to take me." Uh, out of the ability to do my duties here, and uh, but you know, I think she's just tell- too proud to do that. Well, I'm not even saying her, like you know, Alice maybe like telling Jillian, hey, like, hey, by the way, this is happening. And finally, my last question is Does Tyler Perry hate marriage? Because I have never seen him really give a good depiction of them. They're all either divorcing each other or in abusive relationships. And sometimes, I know in his movies, these people do find new love. But I, And I know Tyler Perry is a bachelor, so does he have an issue with marriage? Does he just think it's like, you know, 
they're doomed to fail. Um, Pam and Ben have a good marriage, I would argue. Yes, that is a rare exception, but in the Boo movies, which is an extension of the Medea movies are apparently a universe. He plays a divorced man. I I don't know. And that, it just seems like, you know, he has a problem with marriage. All right, so let's get into our usual questions. So what is what are the things you like about this movie we haven't talked about? Um, I don't know that there's much we honestly haven't covered. I think that I think I really covered the main thing I like about this movie. I just like the storyline in general. I think it's well thought out. I think that um, while there's some flaws, there's minor holes in the storytelling and the writing itself. I think it's generally solid and um, the storyline kind of carries through pretty well. And I like Mm -hmm. the acting. I think the characters are complex. So, I mean, pretty much everything we cover. Okay. Yeah. Um, the things I, I wrote down that I really liked were obviously Woodard, Bates, and Henson. I thought they did the best jobs acting, Perry to an extent. Um, and even Sana Latham as Andrea, to make me hate you for an entire movie and not even give a shit whenever your things are falling apart for you. That does take some skill. Um, right. And there were, there were some... My, my favorite part of the movie is the road trip with uh, Woodard and um, Bates, where they end up in New Orleans. Uh, they're just traveling through the country. Um, and I think that's the moments where um, a lot of the humor came in. Uh, my, my favorite part being the... Um, when they end up in the country bar. Yes. And, and she's talking. And this was also one of the first, one of the scenes where it's supposed to give the clue that something's wrong with uh, Kathy Bates and she forgets a marriage. Uh, he's talking when she says she's only been divorced twice and she's correct yeah. to know three times. She covers it well, but whenever that guy asked her to dance, when Woodard's one liner of don't make it this number four. <laughs> And when uh, Kathy Bates shows up at the diner with the convertible, uh, um, when she's like, I've never seen you drive. Where's Morgan Freeman? (laughs) There were moments where Woodard had dialogue that literally made me laugh out loud in this film. Um, And of course, you know, we we talk about the the chemistry between Perry and Henson. I think they had the best out of everyone. And... I'm going to give Perry a a compliment as a director. I like the subtle way he revealed um, Charlotte's Alzheimer's. Um, You first see it whenever she shows up at the diner with the convertible. Now, that made me think, because uh, Woodard was saying, hey, do you uh, smell something burning? And it's because Kathy Bates had forgotten to turn off the parking brake. But... I was on Susan and I watching and like, is Woodard about to have a stroke? Is the diner on fire? What's about to be the tragedy? And then it, it progresses where she forgets the marriage. And whenever she comes to um, pick her up, she's just sitting there in the dark saying it's a beautiful day. Like it's very subtle the way he 
lets that unfold. And that's probably, I, as a writer and a director, he did that well. And of course, putting it in the hands of Kathy Bates, it's going to be done great. So I, I have now paid compliments to Perry as an actor, as a writer and a director. I think I'm good now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think right. the casting in this movie was really solid. Yeah. And, and even in some of the smaller parts, like I, with the exception of Chris, I know I have seen everyone in something and I apparently have seen Chris in other things. I just didn't remember him, uh, but it does give me an excuse to Rewatch Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, so because he's apparently in there. All right, so what do you think sucked about this movie? Um, I don't have anything major, and it's m- most of the stuff we touched on. I think the major thing is given us a, a little bit more attention to detail. This movie could have covered up a lot of the holes, like the thing we discussed about the banking and. It's just minor plot things that were easily fixable with rewrite. But I yeah. think could have lended a little, could have made the storyline a little bit more solid. Yeah, that's kind of my main things. Like in terms of the, you know, the story. Like, yeah, I obviously hated Andrea from uh, point A to, to from point A to Z. Um, but my my issues with the film as a film boil down to my issue with Perry as a writer. I I think he does need someone in there to like polish and like like I obviously went into this movie kicking and screaming like, you know, it's Tyler Perry. But every even in the films that I even in the other films of his, there is promise there. It's just he needs someone in that writer's room with him to get over his love affair of overly expository dialogue to fix sort of his story threads so that they all, you know, have logical progressions and conclusions and just, you know, he just needs someone to tighten his stuff up. And that's really my major issue with this film and a lot of Tyler Perry films. All right, so it's time for the big question. I'm gonna I'm gonna right. go to you first, John, because this movie was my pick. Did you survive? I can't believe I'm saying this, but I'm going to actually say I survived the family of praise. Is this movie perfect? <laughs> no. Um, are there a lot of issues with this movie? Absolutely. Are, are there things in this movie that drove me absolutely insane? Yes. Would I sit through this or a, or a similar film over another Medea film? Absolutely I would. Uh, I think the fact that they got the cast that they did and re- really kind of helped elevate this to where even in the clunkier moments... There were, there was a lot that there was more that worked here, in my opinion, than what didn't work. And what worked was so strong, it kind of elevated some of the stuff I had problems with. I, I wish, I, you know, I wish that there were some things handled better 
It was fun, but the whole yeah, I I this is the first Tyler Perry movie I can give a thumbs up to and be like, yeah, that that one was fine. So what you're saying is I have good taste. <laughs> In Tyler Perry movies, apparently so, yes. <laughs> Actually, have I uh I so far all the films that you've picked, I don't think there's just been anything I just flat out was like, no, I hate this so far. No, I mean, but there's, there's been a couple you yeah, you haven't survived, but... Yeah, but the, uh, I also know in the back of my head, it could be worse. It could be so much worse. And I hope, to a degree, with one exception that you know is on the schedule, you feel the same way. Uh, yeah, so far I do. Yeah, alright. What about you? Did you... I mean, to answer the obvious question... <laughs> Uh, yeah, I survived. I mean, I kind of understand where you're coming from. I will say this movie, I was not as enamored with this movie as the first time I saw it. But mm-hmm. I will say that I, it still definitely holds up. And it is a movie that I'll watch on occasion. So, yes, I did survive. Yeah. I, I don't know. This may be a twice and I'm done movie, but I don't I don't regret watching this one. This one was fine. Um Am I going to run headfirst into another Tyler Perry movie? Probably not, but if you find one that might work with our... Uh, uh, my my favorite Tyler Perry movie is still Gone Girl, because he was just an actor in it. He was followed by, followed by the 2009 Star Trek. I do think Tyler Perry is a good actor. My, my problem with his is really in the creative side of it. Like Again, like Ryan Murphy, he's a good ideas man. I just don't like how he executes the ideas. Right. Also, just like also how those playing the drinking game drink. I mentioned Ryan Murphy. <laughs> just how like Ben Affleck is a great director and a terrible actor. Um, go watch Gone Girl again because that's maybe his best film as an actor. I'm just messing ben, with you. <laughs> I know. Also, you're adding to the to our <laughs> listeners' uh, alcoholism. <laughs> Sleepaway Camp, Dead Wife. There. I think we <laughs> all right, all. so what do we have on deck for next week? All right, I'm 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 excited for next week for a couple of reasons. Number one, the movie uh, I have, I've picked has got a lot of awards buzz. Uh, its director is up for a Golden Globe for directing. Um, it's also up for some acting awards. It's, there's a lot of Oscar buzz to it. It's another film I can add to my possible uh best of the best of 2020 2021 list because thanks to covid i'm now basing uh what year a movie came out as when it was made available to me with the exception of you know dvd so but this is going to be the first film i think we've covered that neither of us have seen so this could go either way for both of us but um we are going to be covering the new film uh, streaming right now on Amazon Prime called One Night in Miami, directed by Regina King. About a, it is a fictitious story about um, Malcolm X, Cassius Clay, Jim Brown, and Sam Cooke getting together in a hotel around the same time as a, one of uh, Clay's fights. Uh, it's got Leslie Odom Jr. from Hamilton as Sam Cooke and... You know, it, it falls into our category because I'm leaning heavily into the female director because it's directed by Regina King, like I said. But I'm excited because I I wanted to see this film last year whenever it had a very small, brief, like, theatrical appearances. 
but it was I knew it was coming straight to streaming Amazon. So it's been out for about a month, and I haven't seen it, and I've been waiting for us to do it. So I'm looking forward All to it. All right. Well, um, I do have one thing to plug. So I was going to plug this last week when it was more relevant because we did The Bodyguard, which is a Kevin mm-hmm. Costner movie. So at the same time, I was going to plug Yellowstone because it was pretty relevant to not only Kevin Costner but to what we were talking about. So whenever you get the opportunity, um, for anyone who's not seen it, I highly recommend it. Yeah, because um, that show is written, is uh, created by the guy that gave us Hell or High Water and Sicario and Wind River, um, which if you haven't seen any of those films, I also highly recommend them. So I need to see that. It's just not streaming on a service that I have. And I, I'm, I'm drawing a line in the sand. I'm not subscribing to any more. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I want to see Yellowstone. I hear... I have not heard one single person say it's terrible. I think even my dad has seen it because they, they still have, you know, cable in 2021. Oh, yeah, it's no, it's it's really, really, really good. Mm-hmm. Excellent cast. The writing is really the writing is really good and it's incredibly mm-hmm. well acted. Yeah. And also it's just Cole- to look at like the scenery's gorgeous. Yeah. Well, I think it's relevant to this week, too, because in Cole Hauser on that show as well. I don't know, but I will tell you in the third season, Sawyer from Lost comes into the show. So my interest in the oh. show went from already very high to even higher, if that was possible. Oh, well. <laughs> yeah, um, Cole Hauser's in the show. He plays Rip. Dude, no way. That is <laughs> Dude, not like... the same. I'm sorry. That is not the same guy. I knew that name sounded familiar to me. That is not him. No, it's him. It's. The same Cole what? Hauser from the from the family that prays from no. Goodwill Hunting from Days and Confused from Too Fast oh Too god. Furious. Oh my god, John, you have to watch the show. You will not recognize him. He is not the same person, like even remotely. Yeah. I don't think I've ever seen anybody in more disguise. Like I'm telling you, add probably about thirty pounds to him of muscle, and mm-hmm. make him like oh my. Well, and to give credit to Cole Hauser, he's different in everything I've seen him in. You just like, blew um, my mind. All right. So, um, you have anything else you want to plug? or? No, that's it. Yeah. I'm still reeling. I'm gonna, it's going to take some time for me to get over this revelation. <laughs> well, like I said, Cole Hauser, he's been different in every film that um, I've seen him in because... Uh, you know, Days and Confused, he's kind of a slacker. Uh, he's almost kind of a nothing. You forget him being there in Goodwill Hunting. Um, and then, you know, this film, where he's very prominent. And he's He does play a good asshole. I have noticed that. So maybe that's something that carries it into uh, Yellowstone. I don't know. Is Rip an asshole? Um, Rip is probably my favorite character in all of Yellowstone. <clears throat> Like, in a movie, in a show with Kevin Costner, Rip Mm -hmm. might be my favorite because he makes probably the most unsympathetic character in the show sympathetic. Um, Not because of his relationship and connection to her. Um, No, he's... Oh, so he's not the most unsympathetic. No, I mean, he's... Like everybody else, he's not exactly a good person, but he Mm -hmm. is 
of all the bad people, he probably comes the closest to actually being a decent human being. Um, you know what's blowing? I who the hell was he in Good Will Hunting? Okay, you know, in uh, the circle of friends, that's Matt Damon, Ben Affleck, and Casey Affleck. And yeah, the he's guy the there. blonde one. He's the fourth guy. He's the gotcha. he's the guy that you don't that doesn't even really. I think that's that who I was thinking got, he was, but I don't recognize yeah. him. Yeah, I think he got the gig probably because he and Ben, because Ben tends to befriend people he's works with on sets, and they were again for the fourth or fifth time on this show. I've said he's in Days and Confused, so. And Days and Confused is one of my favorite movies. If you've never seen that, I, I'm going to have to cram that into a manly movie of the month at some point. All right. Yeah. Because well, everybody... that's a movie with no leads, so there's no way to make it a chick flick. All right. Well, um, everybody, I have to go cope with this new information that I was just <laughs> given. So. All right. Well, give me some time, and I'll get back to you next week with with how I feel. Okay, I, I'm I'm holding you to an update, but in the meantime, thank you all for listening. Uh, follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, which I did start off very well, very strongly a couple weeks ago about using, and kind of dropped the ball lately because life has been busy. I'll get better about that. But we're we're on Twitter. Uh, I have done nothing with the Twitter since I made it, so you can follow us. I'll eventually get around to it, but I know you're handling things well with Instagram and TikTok. Um, we have an email address, which is survivingchickflicks at, at gmail.com, so write to us on what, what you like, what you don't like, what uh, you might want us to cover someday. Uh, we So far, we've gotten no emails, but I do check it pretty regularly to make, make sure I haven't missed anything. Uh, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please rate and review us. Give us a five-star rating, even if you don't think we deserve it, because it looks, looks cool. <laughs> and I take rejection very hard. <laughs> and finally, once again, Sammy, thank you for doing this another week. And good night, everyone. Good night. Surviving Chick Flicks is created and hosted by John Baggett and Samantha McDaniel. Our audio engineer and editor is Cody McLean. For an ad-free version of the show, please visit patreon.com slash surviving chick flicks, where $5 a month gets you an ad-free version of the show, as well as our manly movie of the month. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter and Instagram, and please give us a five-star rating on iTunes. All opinions are that of the hosts, and no copyright infringements are intended. Surviving Chick Flicks is a Circle of Jug production, all rights reserved.